Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. Um, just celebrated my birthday this past weekend. Had a really, really fun time. We went to a nice restaurant in town. It was uh, more on the side of like a barbecue-styled restaurant, which, you know, I've been there a couple times now. This is going to be my second time. And the first time I went, it was relatively a newer place. Now it's not as new, but still kind of a newer vibe to it. And a thing with restaurants, I think that some people notice or tend to notice or tend to pick up on is that when you go to a new restaurant and you, you know, go there for the first time and it's relatively new or just new, the owner of the restaurant or the people that work there normally typically are going to be giving you the best, the absolute best experience at that restaurant that they possibly can. Meaning that they're going to give you their all, their food's going to be cooked to perfection for the most part. All the stops are going to be pulled to make sure that your experience at that restaurant is the best that they that they can offer. The best possible experience that they can give you. And when I went there the first time I got, it was, uh, I believe it was just like a bacon cheeseburger. or No, no, no. It was, it was actually the tri-tip sandwich. I got the tri-tip sandwich my first time there. The second time that I went, I decided to get the New York Strip Steak Sandwich. And, you know, I've never had a New York strip steak sandwich in my life. Most of the time when I eat steak, it's, you know, with a knife and fork, you know, traditional way to eat a steak. Maybe with a side of, you know, some kind of potato side, whether it be mashed or baked. Some grains, but I never had a steak in a in a sandwich. I was thinking to myself, like... That does sound amazing. Like, I know, like, steak is, you know, the proper way to eat a steak is with a fork and knife. I understand that, you know. I'm not against that. But I was thinking to myself, you know what? Why don't I just go wild today? You know, I'll, I'll get it in the sandwich and I'll see how this really is. You know, how 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 good can this be? It sounds good, but let me try it. And, dude, this sandwich, man, they didn't skimp out on any of the of the meat, right, I got a prime cut, like a really good cut of New York strip steak, and I got, you know, the good bun, some good, like, they had, like, onions and some mushrooms and, like, an au jus on it, it was so delicious, the fries on the side, man, it was a delicious sandwich, and I was, like, not nervous, but I was, like, you know, I'll give it a shot, let's see how this is, because I've never had a New York steak sandwich in my life before, and it was beautiful it was delicious you know it was everything that I could hope for and even more like there's I didn't sense like any or smell like any type of like this is a cheap steak or this is not a very high quality piece of meat like no it was fine it was delicious it was good it was everything that I could have hoped for in that sandwich and this is months apart right this is months after I have been there for the first time so I can report that this restaurant is keeping up with uh, the quality. 
in terms of, you know, how long it's been since I last been there. And I think the last time I was there might have been like in February. I'm going to say it was probably February when I went there. So it's been about a good six months of consistent, uh, consistent visits and consistent meals. And then for my birthday after that, we went to this brewery that's relatively new as well. That was a good time. Ran, you know, had hung out with some friends. Oddly enough, ran into an old teacher of mine, an old high school teacher that I never really talked to about that much. But you know, he saw us there. He noticed that we were that we went to high school with him. We had him as a teacher, and it was fun to talk. You know, fun to talk about the world, how it is today, how how teaching is today, what it was like when we were you know in high school. Stuff like that. It was just it was cool to talk to somebody like that that you viewed as a teacher. And by the way, I still kind of view this dude as a teacher because that's just how I know him from the most. You know, I don't know him as just a normal guy. You know, ever since there's just some teachers that you you know, any any person like you have him as a teacher, you kind of view them as a teacher for the rest of your life. It's not like I'm choosing to, it's just like that's just how it is. That's just how my brain sees you as this person, as a teacher. I don't know if a lot of people are like that. I don't know if anybody else is kind of do the same thing that I do, but I just kind of feel like that's the that's like the thing that I that I feel whenever I see um, old teachers like, oh, you're still my teacher. And I kind of I sometimes I try to avoid them when I see teachers from like, you know, not even high school, like even before that, I would know who they are and I would see them. I would try to avoid them because I feel like that they would know me if they saw my face. But then I have to realize that I don't know because they, you know, as a teacher, they they taught so many different people, different kids, you know, throughout the periods and every single year that went by. Like, how could they know me, right? How could they even recognize me? You know, it's been so many years. I look a little, I look different than I did back then. And I always just kind of avoided them just because I didn't want to be caught in that awkward situation. It's like, oh, hey, what's up? Nothing much. How you doing? You know, that type of small talk. You know, they kind of want to build like a relationship with you. They want to like know about you, which I get it. You know, that's that's general curiosity. You know, when you see somebody that you haven't seen in a while and you kind of built a bond, because let's be honest, when you go to school and you have a teacher, whether it's like a good teacher or a bad teacher, or an okay teacher, you kind of do build a bond with your teachers, unless you don't speak at all, but even then, you're teaching them about, hey, yo, you all right, you good, how you feeling, stuff like that, you know, you're doing all right in school, stuff like that, that type of small talk, you know, checking up on you, so everyone really kind of, in a, in a way, has a relationship with that teacher, you know, I've seen a principal here and there a few times that just kind of, you know, shopping somewhere or just seeing them like at a you know in an event or a restaurant I've seen I've I've seen that too the the grocery store you know that that type of stuff happens all the time principal isn't really as I guess you wouldn't probably know them as much as your teachers but still it's like hey you kind of like were you know the principal at this you gave this speech you gave me an award because I I did well in school that one year but you don't really like know them know them you know you don't really know who they are, you know, the principal, at least, you don't really know them, but you don't really know your teacher that much either, you just know that they're 
that's how they are when they're, you know, giving you a lecture or when they're teaching you something. That's how you know them. So it was really cool to talk with my one of my old teachers about just life and stuff and get to know them as a person. You know, it was pretty fun. I, I got to admit, like it was for two hours, but it was so much fun. You know, we all had a good time with it. And it was, you know, it was not expected. Like you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to guess, you know, if someone were to ask me something out, something out of the ordinary is going to happen on your birthday. What could it possibly be? And I would have never guessed that it was, it would be have a conversation with this person who used to be my teacher when I was in high school. Like I would have had no idea who it would have been. No idea at all. I would have never been able to guess that. But you know what, dude? That's kind of how life is, though. You know, life is so unpredictable. You know, you're never really going to know what's uh, what's going to happen next. And, uh, you know, the fact that that happened on, you know, on my birthday celebration, it was, it was pretty cool. I'm going to say, you know, everybody kind of walked away like that was, that was cool. Like, that was, like, totally unexpected. No one would have thought that that would ever happen. But it did, and it was cool. But you know what isn't cool? Turning 30 is not very cool. You know, normally I uh, I don't usually get all choked up about anything, really. Nothing really tends to phase me all that much in terms of uh, being sad or being getting emotional. But uh, turning 30 was uh, pretty was pretty wild. I'll be honest. Uh, not because, like, I'm, you know, the... Well, actually, yeah, it is because, you know, you are, you know, it's like a realization that uh, I've been in my 20s for 10 years. <clears throat> As everyone does who ages throughout their 20s, you know, you're, you're 21, 22, 20, all the way up until 29, and then you hit the age of 30. And uh, nothing really changes in terms of, like, physicality, in terms of uh, athletic ability. Well, athletic ability, yeah. But, like, in terms of, like, health-wise, nothing really major changes. Like, I can still lift. I can still exercise. I can do all this stuff. Um, but... It really is like a psychological change that happens when you when you turn 30. From my experience, you know, it only being like five days of being 30, not even five, four, I think, at this point. Um, it is quite, you know, it, it's mentally it's like, wow, I'm 30. You just think about that. You no longer think... Or you know how you no longer have like a young person perspective on things, if that makes any sense. When you're talking with somebody, and uh, they think that you're like they they think you're like twenty something, right? And they ask you like, how old are you? Like you say like mm, 24, 25, right? They'll be like, oh, you're very young. You're very young. You don't know this yet. As soon as you hit, like, a, the age of 30, I feel like you can't really be told that anymore. Now, that might just be the perception of the way that society is shaped. At least, like, that's how, like, I kind of saw it. 
when I was growing up, like 30, I don't want to seem like I thought that people who were 30 are old, but they're certainly not like that young, if that makes any sense. Like they're not, I, I don't think that I could like be like, say that I am a young, a really young person. I don't think I can. I don't know if like I'm I'm speaking, you know, ill will for people who are 30, but I just feel like at this moment in time, even though I just turned 30, I don't really know if I can be considered that young of a person, you know? I, I mean, just like the number itself to me just seems like I'm older. I'm like I'm definitely not that young anymore. Even though I kind of look like it, I don't think that it's it fits my age you know it just does not fit how old I am like I can't really be like yeah I'm a young guy yeah I'm young you know I I just I don't think I'm at that point anymore you know and it's kind of crazy you know that kind of washes over you as soon as you you know you hit that number you're like oh shoot like 10 more years, you know, hopefully, 10 more long, great, beautiful, healthy years, and I will be 40. That actually does not sound good at all. Now I understand why people have midlife crises, midlife crises, quarter-life crises. I might be in for one of those soon, not to be all depresso, but... What if it does happen? What if I, you know, actually have a quarterly life crisis? Now, if this is a quarterly life, that means I would live until 120, which I'm banking on because with modern day technology, we probably should. But let's just say this is going to be a quarterly life crisis is, is imminent, or maybe I should have had it already. Not too sure. But definitely when you think about it, the 20s went by very quick. A lot of things happened, though. A lot of things did happen in my life that were good, bad, you know, great, fun, cool, sad, um, worth repeating, some not worth repeating. Friends come, friends go, all this stuff that happened. But once you actually turn 30 you realize like how quick it all went. It all kind of flashes by you as it as it happens as you become 30 years old. And up until that point, you know, my my people my my family would be like happy birthday, when it's not my birthday yet. And I'm like no, no, no. You can't say that just yet, okay? I'm not 30 yet. Please hold off on that. And then once I hit 30, I'm like, you know what? Maybe no more birthdays. You know, maybe we'll just leave it at that. Like, eh, no more. I've I've had I've had a good run. Not not to be like a Debbie Downer or anything like that. Like not to be a sad guy. Not to be, you know, like I never want to have a birthday again. Yeah, I'll probably change that within a week. But at the moment, I'm trying my best to comprehend. That I am actually 30 years old. It's weird. It's definitely weird. Because I remember when I was younger. When some of my relatives were 30 years old. 
I remember that when I was very, very young. Some of my relatives were 30 years old. And now I am 30 years old. Me, me, who was always one of the younger kids in the family, in the extended family group, that when we would get together as when we were young, chill out, have fun, I was on the younger side. And then you realize that when you grow up, you're no longer on the younger side, but you kind of still feel that you are a part of it when you get together because those guys are not going to get, you know, de-age, right? But now that I have turned 30, now I am on the older side, it feels like, because some of them have had kids, and they're much younger than me, and you know everything. It's like, oh, no. It's a weird, wild feeling that, that honestly, nobody in the world, I think, is prepared for. We, we don't really prepare anybody for what comes along with getting older. We really don't. I mean, there's not really much to, much you can prepare yourself with. No, you know, it hits everybody differently, I would assume. And when it happens, it happens, and then that's it. It's just you kind of just move on. But there is a point when you you just kind of think and you dwell on it, and you're like, oh, oh man, like I have like entered another realm, a new chapter in my life that is going to be significantly different now from the previous chapter. Once thirty hits, that's when. What I think that 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 the body begins to fail. You won't be as athletic. You won't be as you know f- quick. You won't be as strong naturally. At least you'd have to work at that. Um, Forty, I'm pretty sure is when you get a colonoscopy. You know you're more prone to cancers and shit like that that nobody wants to talk about and talk about, including myself. But it's like it kind of just opens a new chapter. That you kind of have to, you know, start from the beginning. You know, write that chapter as you live. You know, I wrote the chapter 1 through 30 in the blink of an eye, it seems like. In the blink of an eye. It feels like it's just like, damn, time went by so fast. I didn't even have time to think. I didn't have time to do this or that or anything. It's wild. It hits you, it hits you so fast and you're like, Damn. And then it kind of makes you feel like, all right, now I'm going to pay attention to everything. Now I'm going to take life slow. I'm going to take it easy, not go too quick. We all kind of say that, though. We all kind of think that we're able to, you know, slow life down and really sit back and enjoy it, which is always a good thing. We should always, I think, do that. I think slowing things down as best as you can... Um. And really, really trying your best to just uh, take it one day at a time. As bad as that, not bad, but as slow as that may seem, and as boring as that may be, it's the best way to live your life. It, you, you, there, I mean, there's no like way. There's like no better way, I think, than to live your life one day at a time. And that could be hard, you know, when it, when you have like. A job, and you got responsibilities, and you got you know 
deadlines and appointments and, you know, things in the future. I mean, we are, we are creatures of, of, of tomorrow. We're like creatures of the future. Humans, pretty much all humans, we all look forward, forward to tomorrow in like every aspect, you know, like, and I don't mean necessarily like we think about tomorrow, but we think about what's next, you know? When you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about, all right, when I clock out, I'm going to do this. And when you clock out, you're thinking like, all right, I'm going to go eat this and do that. And then when you do that, you're like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep and then I'll wake up. I'm going to clock in after I clock in, I'm going to do that the next day, you know? It's like a, the we always think about the future. We're always thinking about the next thing that we're going to do, you know? When I record this podcast, I think about what I'm going to do after that. What I got, what I have to do after that to get the podcast up and running, and then what do I got to do? Think before the next podcast, and the podcast after that. What do I got to do before that? What do I got to do after that? Do I have appointments? I got this to do. I just scheduled a, an appointment for um, to get my hair cut this weekend. I'm already thinking about that. What am I gonna do after that? Am I gonna go with something to eat? What am I gonna do after that? You know, normally I do, but like you know, we are creatures of tomorrow. That's just how we are. That's why it feels like our life moves by, I think, so quickly. Because we're always thinking about what's next. And that is a good and a bad thing. A good thing because of innovation, invention, education, and developing things that we use on a day-to-day life that make our lives so much easier than what they used to be. I mean, you think about it, I don't think that um, a dog thinks about tomorrow. I don't think that a dog thinks about when he's going to go to what he's going to eat tomorrow or what he's going to do tomorrow. I think that I think that a dog is going to think about what's happening right now, right here right now. Like what's he going to do? He's going to play fetch, he's going to eat, he's going to take a nap. What's he going to do at this moment? That is the difference between a dog and a human being. I think. I mean, we don't really have the technology for us to 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 uh, dig into a dog's brain to see what he thinks or what he is thinking of. I mean, if we had that, I mean, that'd be insane. That'd be incredible technology that we would love to have. But at the, at the moment, we don't. We don't have that technology, so we'll never know. Will we ever know? I'm not too sure. All we can really do is, now this is going to sound very corny, but I'm paraphrasing here, and this is a quote from Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, and I'm probably going to paraphrase a little bit because I don't know, I don't remember it word for word, but I'm pretty sure that the line goes, all we have to do, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us pretty sure that's a quote, but I might be paraphrasing. But that quote is so true. Like, we don't know how much time we got on this planet, in this life, in this, in this life that we have. You know, the people that we've made relationships with, our friends, our family, colleagues, whatever. Like, all we have to do is to do to decide what to do 
with the time that we have. That could be many, many years. Could be not as many. Could be a few months. Could be a few days, a few hours. We don't really know. That's not finite. That's not something that we have the information on. If you knew when you were going to pass away, I don't know if anybody would be able to live a good life. I'll be honest. I don't think that anybody would be able to live a good life if they knew when they were going to die. That would be a terrible, terrible life to live. If you if you were blessed, right, and you said, and you got this fortune from some kind of fairy or something, right, right? She comes down to you. She's like, you're going to live until you're 107 years old, and that's finite. I know your path. I know what's going to happen to you at every waking moment, and you're going to die when you're 107 years old. Would you be like, yeah, 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 cool, celebrating? Or would you be like, oh, no, no I have so, what, what do I got to do before that? What do I got to do then? I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I would feel like I'd be more on the side of like celebrating, like, I got so much time. And maybe I start thinking about it, like, do I need that much time? What's going to happen in that time? You'll probably start to think about what's going to happen, like, what is keeping me alive for so long? What do I do? What's going to happen? Who do I meet? When do we meet? What's going to happen? Like, so much stuff would go on in your brain that you would absolutely have no idea what to do. You probably wouldn't even know how to how to respond to that that fortune that that fairy gave you. Like, hey, you're gonna live till this long, and you're gonna, you know, you know, that's it. That's when you're gonna be gone. That day, I won't tell you how, but that's gonna be how you're gonna live. How you're gonna pass away. And yeah, I mean, I'd be like, yeah, cool, I'll celebrate, but I'll be like, Phew, I don't know. What what can I do in that time before? You know, before that day comes, what do I have to do or what do I want to do? It's just, you know, it's crazy. It's a crazy world that we live in. Always changing. Always different. Um, moving on, though. Didn't want to get too sentimental at that. But um, I, you know, I just turned 30 and I... Um, it just kind of pops in your head. That stuff just kind of pops into your head about, um, you know, how things just kind of shape up and how, how things change. Life is always changing, you know, new, new job, new, new place of living, new car, new this, new that, everything. It just, when everything's just change. you know, that's, that's the part of life. That's the part of this world. Um, but also part of this world is something that I truly love, which is sports. We're going to talk a little bit about sports today. Maybe not on the most happy note, in my opinion, but definitely something that, that needs to be talked about, that needs needs to be addressed. And I don't normally talk about this topic all that much, but I feel that my voice is probably not correct, but it's a passionate voice, and it's a voice that I think that has some reason to it in terms of what we love, what people love in this world, in terms of sports, 
in terms of like college sports and and college football and all that. And to see what college football has done, and not just college football, but it is pretty much for college football. Um, this um, this entire pretty much realignment of these big college sports conferences and realignment and schools moving from conference to conference and, you know, killing conferences and, and uplifting others. And yeah, I mean, like, first of all, let's just talk about what has been established and what has been happening up until this point and why I think that now at this point a lot of the traditions a lot of the things that people loved about college sports college football is now being hijacked just to make more money and how you know this is probably going to end it probably won't end but it, it it'll definitely be missing missing a a crucial point to what I think made the sport so popular to people and how that's going to change. First of all, I want to be very clear. I'm not a big college football fan. Never have been. Never really will be, I think that in my opinion. But hey, anything could happen. I was not a big watcher of college football either. I would watch the the uh, big matchups. I would watch um, the national championship games, bowl games, and, you know, just for fun. You know, but college football never really was my sport, my go-to sport to watch in the fall. That's that's the NFL. But um, definitely something that people loved. People love college football. People love you know, they talk about the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, the MAC, the Mountain West. Well, there's one conference that you might not be able to talk about that much anymore when it comes to college football competitive, in, in terms of a, of a competitive conference. And that's the Pac-12. My friends, you know me, I've told this before, I don't really care about college football. I don't really care. To me, it's a sport that's been owned by the East Coast and the, and the Midwest, and that we really don't put a lot of effort into making our schools and our students commit to these schools that are on the West Coast, that are part of the Pac-12, the Mountain West. We don't really keep and retain our students that grow up here, that tend to go to other schools like Alabama, Texas, Georgia, you know, all those big schools, Ohio State, Michigan, right? They all go to the other big schools to uh, to play football, to go to the NFL. But I would always have hope, and I would always cheer for the, the Pac-12, the Mountain West teams that are on the West Coast, and be like, you know what? No. Like, we... As a unified coast, have the best talent proven. We do. Bryce Young, number one overall pick to the Carolina Panthers. Um, 
went to went to Pasadena, California. Lives in Pat lived in Pasadena, California. Is from California, and went to high school in California. He's a California kid that went to the South and killed it over there in Bama. Won a national championship and now is the number one NFL draft pick. And uh, you know that we get ridiculed a lot in terms of West Coast football. That we used to be good with USC, UCLA used to be okay, Stanford. I, I even lumped together Oregon too because of West Coast and stuff like that. Fresno State. But um, I would always stick up for us. I would be like, you know what? You just need to... These guys on the East Coast and in the South just need to shut the fuck up because they don't know what it really is like playing football in the Central Valley of California. We ain't L.A., bruh. It's more like Texas football down here than, than you would expect. If you're listening to this and you're on the East Coast or in the Midwest or in Texas or one of these other states, just just let you, just let me tell you, like it's for real down here. It's for real over here, okay? We ain't pussies about it. We actually care about that stuff, you know? So don't give me shit how, like, they don't even play football over there. We do. We produce all these freaking players. It's just you nab them. You nab them and you take them away to go to these other schools across the country that... You know, that will develop them, make them better players. Good on you, but they're ours. They came from here. You know, they grew up here. They like it here. They're only going there because you'd offer them a scholarship because you have such a big football program, which, you know, good on you. Congratulations. You you worked hard to build up that football program, but they are ours. They belong to us. Like uh, Bryce Young, the pride of California, bruh. The pride. I know he might have played for Bama, but he's from California, and I will never let anybody forget that shit. But getting to the to the absolute, the absolute um, uh, abomination of what has happened. If you haven't been paying attention, essentially, all these major schools, USC. UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, I think Arizona State, are I think even Cal Berkeley, are leaving the Pac-12. Let me just look it up right now just to be sure because uh, I want to be correct on this. Okay, so at this point, there's only going to be six... No. There's only going to be a few Pac-12 schools left in the conference. That being Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. That is it. So that means that UCLA, USC, um, Oregon, um, Washington, Arizona... And I also believe Arizona State left the Pac-12. I mean, I can't... I, it, it, a conference that I think was strong enough to eventually compete with 
the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, eventually. And I think that we're pretty much on the move to do that. Has pretty much left the conference. And the conference has been around for over 100 years of college athletics and you know, college, you know, football, basketball, baseball, you name it, like, a conference that was well-established in the college sports market, and now that all these schools just left to go to other conferences to make them what, to give them a better shot at competing for a national championship, I guess? I mean, I guess that's a good reason, but in the same, in the same breath, you killed the Pac-12, you know, all this whole, like, realignment and all that, it just is wild, like, I get it, right, USC, UCLA going to the, the Big Ten, matchup-wise, it's cool, right, I mean, you'll probably be able to see USC play Ohio State more often, or, UCLA play Michigan more often. Cool. That is that that I'll admit that is pretty cool and I would watch that. But in the same breath, you destroyed USC Stanford, you destroyed USC Oregon, you destroyed uh Cal versus all these schools, like you destroyed it all. For what? To get to get more TV ratings, to get more recognition, to do this, to do that. I think Arizona was moving to the Big 12. And, like, I've heard, I've heard that USC might want to go to the ACC. Not USC, Stanford might want to go to the US or the ACC. That is quite the jump. Now, not that, that isn't, that last little tidbit has not been confirmed yet but it is they have been talking about that it has been in the rumblings of information that might be true might not happen though might not happen but still these other schools ditching the Pac-12 sad truly is sad and that was also this all came after when Texas and Oklahoma wanted so badly to to go to the SEC to compete in the SEC like why because you think that that more players more better players will go to your schools because you're in the SEC it might be that that might be a reason why these high school recruits that are freaking crazy at football and basketball aren't going to these other schools because they're not in the god conference the god conference for football is the SEC. Unfortunately, that's just the way it plays out. The, from the, the past, like, how many years have it has an SEC school won the national championship? SEC schools tend to have the better football programs, the best football facilities, the best stadiums. It only makes sense, right? If your goal is to get to the NFL, you're going to want to have the tools to prepare you to get you to the NFL. And if that is, you know, uh, better, you know, a better weight room, you know, better coaches, a better training staff, a better recovery staff, you know, all this stuff, then sure, yeah, go to the SEC. 
sure. But, you know, what if you wanted to go to another school? What if you wanted to go somewhere else, somewhere smaller, right? Well, that, unfortunately, does not really guarantee you the dream to go to the NFL, you know? It's a lot harder to get that type of recognition when you go to a smaller school or you go to a school that isn't as isn't in the SEC or a school that isn't facing the elite competition, right? And that is a good point, you know. The Pac-12 schools like USC and UCLA, they'll probably, you know, demolish the other Pac-12 schools. But once they face off those schools in the SEC, it's a different story. It's a different ball game. It's like they're playing two different brands of football, you know, and it just doesn't really, um, competition-wise, it doesn't really better the Pac-12 teams in that situation because they don't really play against teams that are that good, that get all these recruits because they want to play in the SEC uh, rather than the Pac-12. Or, or even sometimes the Big Ten. The Big Ten, even to this day, kind of gets overlooked too over because the SEC, like I said, is the, is the God Conference. And they get all the good, they all get, get all the good players and they have the most money there. So I get it. I understand why. It's better for their school. It's better recognition. It just does suck, though, that they're not going to be competing and building up the Pac-12 that they should. And part of me is mad because the schools decided to leave. Another part is mad at me because the Pac-12 didn't really try to compete with the Big Ten or the SEC in terms of, you know, upgrading their systems, getting trying to get the best coaches there other than, you know, USC and UCLA and Oregon, right? Why not try to develop these other schools and make them just as good, if not better, than those schools? Why? Because they have the more money than those schools. But still, why not try to give them more, you know, resources to make their their schools and universities much more appealing to these kids? That way they don't have to leave the state. That way they don't have to go to the East Coast or the Midwest. Like I said, most of the talent that comes out of the SEC... Some of it, a lot of it, is not from those states. It's from California. They're from the West Coast. So, as a, as a conference, the Pac-12, in you know, in many many ways, failed to keep those native students to play for their schools. They kind of did fail, and and when you have a market that's changing. You have NIL that is being introduced. You have the transfer portal that has now been a, a season or two in when people can just go to any school they want, essentially, to play wherever they want, wherever they're going to get the most reps to put on tape to go to the NFL, they're going to do it. And shame on the Pac-12 for not stepping up the game to be like, you know what? No, We're, what they should have done was say, you know what? Fuck the SEC. Fuck the SEC. We are going to make the conference the most, uh, the Pac-12, the most sought-after conference for recruits to come play. And not 
in the SEC. We they failed. They did not. They did not do enough to compete with the other conferences to keep their native players in the conference. They failed. So it's both. It's it's both because there wasn't much of a push for it, even though you know it was kind of an uphill battle to start with. I mean, in the West Coast, California, a lot of California, and that's all I can really speak of. A lot of them don't. A lot of people in California don't really care too much about college football, college sports. Really, that's not really our cup of tea in the state. I'll be honest, it wasn't. We mainly care about the professional teams, the NFL teams, the NBA teams, MLB. We don't really care that much about college football as much as the people who do in um in the in the east on the east coast and the in the southeast and even in the Midwest, we just don't really care. I don't know what it is. It's just not really our cultural thing to care that much about college sports. So that's kind of on us. Maybe, maybe the the um, maybe USC and all those schools thought that you know what, if our market, if our if our um, geographical audience does not really care to watch us all that much especially watch us play Washington State Oregon State Cal what if they watch us more if we played Ohio State and Michigan more often and Penn State and uh Nebraska more maybe then they'll watch more Maybe that was their thought process. Maybe they thought that the only way that they could gain viewership and gain um, um, and gain um, popularity is if they played quote unquote better schools, better competition. You know, it was kind of like the uh, the Super League. That was talked about a couple summers ago when people, the all these leagues, want these teams from these leagues wanted to join this really super league that had like the best of the best um, soccer teams in Europe play each other on the regular and pretty much leave their own domestic leagues. That's kind of what it is. If we really think about it, that's kind of what this super, uh, this, um, this whole conference uh, realignment is kind of is like the Super League. It's saying like, you know what? You might have enjoyed USC versus Stanford or, you know, UCLA and Oregon. You'll still have that, but you won't get USC versus Arizona. You won't get USC versus Washington State or Oregon State. You won't get Oregon versus Oregon State, but you will get Michigan versus UCLA. You will get Nebraska versus USC more often. That's better, right? You think that's better? We think it's better. It's like, mm. but then you kind of, you also kind of 
lose what I was talking about, which is the tradition of college football. You lose the the what it's been built on for over 100 years. You know, that all kind of like goes away in a way. I mean, some of it's still there. UCLA will still be in the, it will still be with them. So will Washington and so will Oregon. But in the same in the same time, you lose so much that you cared about and so much that mattered to you. Relationships, rivalries, right? Experiences are just kind of like, you're not going to have any more of those because we need more money. It's like, damn, they, they didn't, they, they just pulled the trigger and like, they did it, man. I, I, I you know what? The more I think about it, the more I don't like it. Now, the question is, is will I continue to watch college football? I already don't watch it that often, but I do plan to continue to watch it. And I'm pretty sure that the uh, uh, realignment is not happening yet. I think there's like one more season of them being in the Pac-12 in their, in their current conference. And then after this season, it's going to take into shape pretty sure that's what's going to happen you know and then there there was rumors too that Clemson might join the SEC it's like all right I mean like this is all you know what this all is and this is what I've been kind of um I've kind of been I've 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 talked about this in the past it was a while ago but they're straight up in competition with you know TV time, airtime, whatever you want to call it. They want to make their sport the most watched sport uh, in the country, I think. Because they have the fan bases, they have the the passionate, you know, pomp and circumstance. They have this, they have that. And I think that the NCAA might, might, you know, and this might might be a little far-fetched. But who's to say that they don't directly begin to compete with the NFL in terms of viewership, in terms of product, in terms of this, in terms of that, transfer portal, NIL, stuff like that. You know, who who says that one day they try to directly compete with the NFL and try to make you know, make the NFL not as popular as it is. There's nowhere that it, there's nowhere that it says that they can't do that. If you think about it, like like I'm pretty sure that the NCAA looks at who is in you know Division One football across the country and being like, you know what, we actually have more fans, more dedication. Than the NFL. What if we decided to play some of our games on Sunday instead of Saturday? Now, what happens then? Does the NFL go like, hey, hold on. We gave you Saturday. We gave you a little bit of Friday. Sunday and Monday is our day. I mean, they already have Thursday night football in the NFL and also in college football. They have a certain some games that are college football and NFL on the same day, nationally televised. Like, there is already a little bit of bad, little bit of competition there. 
you know? In this country, we have been so used to Saturdays are for college, Sundays are for pros. Now, what if, you know, the NCAA feels like they got it going. They got, you know, all these schools and these universities that people care about and that in, in this country, they got us hook, line, and sinker, right? People love their alumni they love their school that they've been to some people love it like more than they love like where they're from you know some people actually think that um their school where they went to school is like their most important thing in their life and if you can get those people to watch football and go to stadiums and go to go to see games on whatever day it might be including sunday if you get some of those people to watch you know um, your t- their their college football team on Sunday rather than Saturday and directly take over and compete with the NFL's viewership, oh my God. They actually might, they could make a push to be the football league to watch in the future. Like, hey, I don't want it to happen, but it could definitely be a possibility. It could definitely be... Something to not look forward to, but to keep an eye on. Because the NCAA, let's be honest, man, they 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 know what it's all about. They know about making money. You know, they want to extend, they probably even are thinking about, what if we made the season longer than 12 weeks or however long it is? They've already done it with the NFL. Who's to say they won't do it with college football? I mean, they already prolong and stretch out that season as long as they possibly can right? Think about it. It starts a week ahead, a week before the NFL, and it ends the beginning of January with about five weeks or so until uh, the NFL season starts. So, I mean, it's, it's around the same time, but like, it's not that much shorter than the NFL season. What if they decide to do more and more and more, right? What if they make it so that they play even more games, right? Let's just say they play 12 games a team, right? They play 12 weeks of college football, 13, I think. What if they're like, you know what? We're going to play 15 weeks of college football, you know, because we want to go longer. We want to. We want the season to be longer. Like, why? So you can just get more money, so you could uh, have better competition, so you, you'll maybe extend the... Um, the, 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 the amount of teams that can play in the playoff. Like, what's the real reason why you're doing it? Don't say money. You can't say money. What's the actual reason? I don't think those people will get, be able to give you a valid reason to why they would do that. I mean, look at with the NFL, right? The season is now 17 games. 17 game season. With one less shortened, with one less preseason game. So... What does that mean? Well, this past year, this past season, we actually got that, you know, that it, we got to see how it all folded out. And players were saying that 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 last game, that fourth game is, is a real necessity because you don't get as many, uh, if you have that game, you probably don't get as many soft tissue damages, soft tissue injuries that happened in last year's week one. A lot of people went down that first week first two weeks and they're all signed the same thing if we had that fourth game i guarantee you that we wouldn't be getting as injured as we are now 
which, of course, I, for one, am pro-player, all right? I'm so pro-player, but I'm also a viewer. So I'm going to take that extra game of football and love it to death. But, however, I am four-player. So I would also, in a heartbeat, I would switch back to a 16-game season within an instant. I would be totally fine with that. Hey, yeah, go back go back to 16 games uh, 16 games a year. Fine, do that. One extra preseason game, go back to normal. I would have been I would be happy with that. I'd be I'd be like, "You know what? Do it. All the better." Also, only play on grass. How about that? I have been such an advocate now, such a so pro grass when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to football because the amount of times that players get injured on that turf is pretty remarkable if you think about it. And they all say, every player is like, you know what? Grass is just better. It's It allows you to be uh, to fall, you know, to maybe slide a little bit without the worry of being, or the worries of being all scraped up and stuff. And I played on turf before when I was in high school. I played soccer. In high school, one of the schools that we went to um, had turf on their field, and it is, for one, really hot, two, bouncy, kind of weird, those little black beads get everywhere on you, and when you do slide or fall, you do get scraped up, and football players are getting tackled to the ground, they're getting scraped, they're sliding, like... I, I totally see why they would want to ban and not play on turf anymore. But this is the NFL, and they are trying to make as much money as possible. And in, in that same way, cut costs as much as possible. And if you think about it, the turf doesn't require maintenance. It doesn't require cutting. It doesn't require watering. What does grass grass requires cutting watering sunlight care fertilizer soil it requires all that stuff so in my brain i'm thinking like yes they should absolutely 100% go to grass only fields it would be better the players would will love it better they'll probably even play better but, oh yeah, it's going to cost you some money to, to maintain that grass field for every Sunday. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. And that's totally not something I think that the NFL would be willing to do. At least without without some uh, some type of uh, you know pushback like, hey, y'all got to do this or rank in a pet and play. But I doubt that's going to happen because they sign all the players' checks. So... I don't know. We'll see. Definitely interesting. Definitely interested in seeing how college football will be played out with the whole conference realignment. I haven't really talked to any of my family members that that watch a lot of college football, what they think about this yet. It's kind of been a recent news story that's been developing within the past week. But I would love to see what they think about that because they are of the older generation they are really do love college football 
more so than the NFL. So those those people definitely do exist. I think it's because college football kind of brings out a little bit more passion than NFL. The fan bases are definitely a lot more passionate than the NFL fan bases. So I do understand that. But with this whole realignment thing, I would love to know their actual thoughts on it. Like, is this good? Are you okay with this? Not okay, but are you are you going to watch it? Will it hurt you to watch it? Is it going to diminish anything about matchups? Or what do you think about this? And, you know, was, was like, is it a good thing to finally possibly be getting, you know, good talent to go to the, the West Coast schools, even though they won't be in the West Coast Conference? They'll be in the Midwest and the Southeast Conference, you know? So and it's it's a good question to ask, and it's some opinions that I would be most definitely wanting to hear. But that could only be told in the future, and we'll see what happens. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, thank you for watching. Uh, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube at Intelligent Moron, Moron with Alex Silva. New episodes drop every Thursday morning. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Do all that good stuff. And yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And I will see you guys next week.